You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 541 of this podcast. Today is January 19th, 2023, and also, coincidentally, Thursday. (laughs) I don't know why that would be a coincidence. Actually, there are no coincidences. Let's be real. There there, There are no coincidences. If by coincidence we mean that some random thing has happened completely by chance and no cause, right? No cause. No purpose. If that's what we mean by coincidences, then there are no such thing as coincidences. But what is actually the definition of a coincidence? What is it versus how we typically will use the word to imply something random, something uncaused or purposeless? According to Oxford Languages by way of Google, The first definition of coincidence is a remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances without apparent causal connection. That would be the first definition. The second is correspondence in nature or in time of occurrence. So that would just mean with incidents, coincidence. So these two things happened at the same time. And hmm, how about that? Why? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It just so happens that it is Thursday and January 19th, 2023 in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini. Not a coincidence if we mean without causal connection, but you could say without apparent causal connection because you don't know. Right. And that's the difference. That's the difference is that we would admit we don't know. And say, there's still a purpose versus because I don't know, therefore there must be no purpose. On the one hand, we will have a humble attitude, which can learn, which can be taught. And yes, we will be looking for how God is being purposeful in bringing about the fulfillment of his promises and his good plan. His faithfulness cannot be in question. We have to trust in his faithfulness. And that he will do what he has said he's going to do. He will prevail. And therefore, when we read passages like Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. We understand that even what appears to be random chance, total luck in our eyes, is ultimately under God's sovereign, watchful care and he can change it, right? He can change it. If he can't, then who could, right? Why Why would we suppose that he can't? Why would we rule that out? Why would we say, oh, that's ridiculous? We might not know always what his plan and purpose is for things going the way that they do, but that he has a plan and a purpose. That should not be doubted. That should not be questioned. That should not be denied. But in this episode, we're going to be talking a bit about some current events items and how The Lord's Prayer should inform our understanding of the news cycle and politics towards the end of our engaging these things in a meaningful way, in a wise way, in a God-honoring way, in a productive way. And that might take you by surprise that I would tie the Lord's Prayer to politics in some form or fashion. Trust me when I say I'm not trying to hijack the Lord's Prayer, but I do want you to notice a few of the lines that maybe we never think about in relation to politics because we've grown up in a time when it is taken for granted that your faith goes over there and politics and the secular establishment in the public square goes over here and never the two shall meet. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and I was explaining why it is that the separation of church and state as we've come to think of it in our day is so pernicious. And he was pointing out that separation of church and state was not 
originally intended to protect our government or our political process from Christians speaking about what is right and wrong or what is true and false. That was not the idea. The idea was to protect the church from interference by politicians or government officials who just didn't like this or that way that the sacraments were handled or this or that particular point of doctrine or practice for an individual denomination. The church was to be protected from government intrusion, not excluded from government involvement or from political engagement. That's an important distinction. And as somebody who has worked in oil and gas for going on 11 years now, hard to believe, coming up in May, that will be 11 years since I got into this industry. I know that on a well site or in a midstream facility or on a pipeline, you will have what is called a check valve if you only want the flow of liquids, oil, gas, water, chemicals to go in one direction. You have what is called a check valve. And actually, you will have a check valve on the gas inlet for your house as well. These are things that we don't typically think about unless we have to work on them. And we don't even necessarily know that they exist, but they're everywhere. Check valves are very important for making sure that if you have a rupture or what have you, you're not going to just lose everything in a backwards direction. You will maintain a certain level and you won't backflow in the wrong direction. You want fluids to flow from here to there. And if something breaks, you don't want them to go the opposite direction. If there's a loss of pressure, you don't want them to go the opposite direction and go backwards. And so a check valve has to be open for flow in the intended direction. It has to be open. But the way that it works is you've got a kind of hinge that as soon as the liquid or fluid stops flowing in that direction, that hinged plate is going to relax back into place and hold shut the valve so that that's it. It's, it's just going to stay. It's going to stay right there. We're going to maintain level. We're going to maintain the fluid that is accumulated in the direction that we're trying to go. Now, we may not add to it so long as that check valve is closed, but we're at least not going backwards. Well, that is a good picture of what separation of church and state was originally intended to be. It was supposed to be a check valve to prevent backflow from the government into the church, but it was never supposed to keep the church from flowing into our political engagement or our political process or the way that our government functions or who makes up our government. To have separation of church and state the way that we do, I would contend, is like putting in a blind flange where we should have a check valve. It's like putting in a blind flange where we should have a check valve. Now, what is a blind flange? For those of you who are not familiar, it's basically a solid steel plate with no face, no opening, that you will insert between two flanged connections and you'll bolt everything together. Or you you might put it at the end of a pipe to say, okay, I don't want flow to go through here. This is where it stops. The way that separation of church and state has been redefined and manipulated to mean something other than what the founders intended, what even the generation of Americans on up to and through the American Civil War would have meant by it, it, it is like just putting in a blind flange to block off flow. And to the extent that we are depriving our political processes of Christian virtue, Christian faith, the knowledge of the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is to that extent that we are depriving the public of goodness. We are depriving the public of virtue and morality. And also, too, insofar as the church and Christians have accepted that, they have amputated 
their testimony in this country. They have become, to that extent, godless, and they have denied or gone along with the denial of the Lordship of Christ in every area of life. And so what I would propose is that as we look at current events, we think of the Lord's Prayer in some of its particulars in a new way that some very unscrupulous people have been working for a long time to prevent us from looking at it in or looking at these things through. So what is the Lord's Prayer for those of you who don't just have it memorized or who might be wondering which particular parts I would be saying pertain to current events and what's happening in the news or what's happening in our government from the top, starting in verse five of Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so there it is. And you think, yeah, that's just as I remember it. <laughs> it hasn't changed. <laughs> I did have it memorized. Or what are you getting at, Garrett? Only this, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, that should tell us that fathers are very important because God is a father and God is absolutely critically important. So it's very important that we as fathers be reflecting the goodness of God as a father by his grace to our utmost ability. Hallowed be your name. It's very important that we be holy, for he is holy. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Do we remember that God is not just father, but king? God is king, and he has a kingdom. And when it says your kingdom come, this is talking about the fulfillment of the depths and the riches of his promise for his saints, that they will rule and reign forever with everlasting life in Christ. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. The old will pass away, but there will be no separation of God's standard, God's character, a recognition of God, an honoring of God outright, verbally, materially, in his kingdom. There will be no separation of church and state in his kingdom. Your will be done. Your will be done. He has a will. What is a will? He has desires, plans, purposes, commands. In other words, he has made it clear that he intends for things to go according to his will. And when we pray, your will be done we agree with that. We affirm that. We are saying amen, which just means so be it. Your will be done is another way you could say amen on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Let me get this a little clearer for you. On earth as it is in heaven. God's will is not only done in heaven, ultimately, in the end. It is not just some spiritual reality 
there's a material aspect to what God created, and he has intentions for the material world, good intentions. He had a good purpose when he created the material world, including our bodies and ourselves and the things that we enjoy, the material objects that we have ownership of and use in our day-to-day life. He created all that is material, not just all that is spiritual. And then all that is material arose by chance, the rolling of dice, coincidence, on its own. He had a good purpose. He still has a good purpose, which will be fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we want his kingdom, his will to be realized, not just in the heavenly realms, but right here on earth. Fully, truly, completely, we pray for that. In his good timing? Sure. But We shouldn't mean by that tomorrow. Let's procrastinate. To whatever extent he intends for us to be realizing that or pointing to that coming reality, if we pray this, it is the exact opposite of opposing his plans and purposes. To whatever extent they would be fulfilled here on earth right now as a preview of the everlasting goodness of God in eternity future, if we pray the Lord's Prayer, we cannot say amen, turn right around, and oppose the foreshadowing in material fact of the coming of his kingdom and the doing of his will on earth as it is in heaven. We can't do that. If we do that, well, then it was an empty prayer. Jesus says, You must not be like the hypocrites, the ones who play act at praying. Don't be like them. But then Jesus says, give us this daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread, this day, this day. And what is daily bread? Well, it's a very simple thing. Food, sustenance. But daily bread, it's not just literal bread. Daily bread here is a stand-in for provision, sustenance at the most basic level. It's not just food. It's all kinds of provision. It is appropriate for us to pray and ask God to provide for us what we need for our sustenance. That's appropriate. It's appropriate. It's not unspiritual. It's not carnal. It's not in any way, shape, or form contrary to what we've just prayed, if we are praying like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That will, that will, if (laughs) and when, and to the extent that God hears that prayer and answers it, it will necessitate that we stop viewing the material as somehow wholly separate from what is, what is spiritual. What, what is physical and what is spiritual? These are not wholly separate. And I say holy, and I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-Y. But that is to say they sound exactly the same when you say the words in English. When you speak either of those words, they sound exactly the same. The context is going to have to be your clue whether we're talking holy, like entirely, completely, or holy as in set apart. And unfortunately... To the extent that we have made what is spiritual set apart from what is material, we have missed the point that holiness absolutely does have to do with material things and how we use them, including but not limited to our bodies. Or how would it be that we would become just like the Gnostics, supposing that what we do with our material bodies doesn't really matter because what is material is inherently corrupt insufferably, but what is spiritual, that is what really truly counts. No, it's not divided like that. They're distinct, but they're not divided like that to where you can say what's spiritual goes over there, what's physical comes over here. And I know that I'm a good godly man because I don't worry about, think about, pay attention to what is material, what is physical. I regard that as carnal. Well, it will be, it will be carnal if it's completely divorced from what is spiritual, 
or more to the point, a fear of God, which is the beginning of understanding. Give us this day our daily bread. And again, as with his kingdom come, his will be done, to the extent that God answers our prayer there, the appropriate response is to give thanks. How can we give thanks if we regard our daily bread as something gross or unclean, spiritually or materially? How can we be giving thanks while at the same time regarding as unclean and unacceptable and complaint-worthy the good gifts that God has given us? The simple fact is that we can't. This is just like when it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debts needs to be understood as not just, hey, my buddy owes me five bucks. Debts here is a stand-in for all manner of obligations or recompense that would be due us. If someone has sinned against us, that's what this is getting at. We have sinned against God. God, please forgive us as we forgive others. And that is to say, we need to forgive others their sins against us. But we need to be obedient children of our Father in heaven. The fact that he is a father is of a piece with the fact that we are his children. And if that's the case, we need to be obedient children. And just like with our earthly children, our material children, (laughs) not heavenly children, because to my knowledge, we don't have heavenly children. But just like with our material children, our biological children, we don't accept that they would only love us, but then they totally disobey us. They don't clean their room when we tell them to clean their room. They don't do their schoolwork when we tell them to do their schoolwork. They don't go take a shower and put on some clean clothes when we tell them to. They don't eat their broccoli when we tell them to. We don't say, oh, you love me in an abstract sense. Okay, just do whatever you want. We say, I'm glad that you love me and you need to obey. Just so. How would it be if we say, oh, I love God. I love Jesus. But it's this abstract, ethereal thing, which because someone else swallowed up the course of our paths, like Isaiah 3 talks about, oh, my people, your guides have misled you. They've swallowed up the course of your paths because Our guides have misled us and swallowed up the course of our paths. We suppose we can tell God, we love you, but we're not going to obey you. Not in a material sense. We'll obey you inwardly and focus exclusively on the internal world to the exclusion of the material world, because that's holy. That's godly. That's what you want, right? Except it isn't. Of course it isn't. Even just within the context of the Lord's Prayer. But moving on, let's talk through a few items of import with current events, and let's ask the question as we go along, how should the Lord's Prayer reframe the way we think about these current events items? Starting off, the last of Haiti's elected officials have left office, leaving the nation in chaos and completely without lawmakers, if you can believe it. NPR tweeted out, The challenges facing Haiti have spiraled gang violence, inflation, a cholera outbreak. Last week, the country's last remaining elected officials left office. Quote, it's a collapse, end quote, one outgoing senator said. So that is to say that Haiti has descended into absolute anarchy. What will come of that? What will be the result of all of these goings on? It's hard to say, but the president of Haiti, you might know or you might not know, was assassinated back in 2021. It's been a couple of years. A group of gunmen killed him and injured his wife, and the country has just not recovered since. Now, I happen to know that with regards to Haiti, there is a very strong voodoo influence in that country, and it is not just that this is a poor country that didn't have any resources or whose people are still suffering from the effects of colonialism because just across the island is the Dominican Republic, which last I checked is doing 
way better, way better than Haiti. The difference is in Haiti, voodoo reigns supreme. In the Dominican Republic, there is a greater fear of God. They're even called the Dominican Republic. Not that I'm going to champion Catholicism here, but if it's Catholicism or voodoo, go with Catholicism. Go with Roman Catholic faith instead of voodoo. The motto of the Dominican Republic is Dios, Patria, Libertad, Spanish for God, Homeland, Freedom. In that order, good idea. That's a good idea. The religion breakup in Haiti is 66.7% Christianity as of 2018, 29.6% non-religious, 0.7% other, 2% unspecified, 44% Roman Catholic. The Dominican Republic is doing just fine. And they are a republic, by the way. Can I just point out, a republic is a nation ruled by laws, first and foremost, not ruled by men, first and foremost. Haiti, by contrast, just to give you a little bit of an eye-opener here, I would hope, Haiti's motto is Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité. Yes, you heard that right. The same motto as the French Revolution, Liberty, Equality, Fraternity. If you haven't picked up a copy, do pick up a copy of Liberty, Equality, Fraternity by Gron van Prinster. It is a refutation of liberalism. That is its subtitle. Just recently translated into English for the first time from the Dutch by Refcon Press. You can get it from Refcon Press, the Reformed Conservatives publishing wing. Or you can hit me up. I've got several copies on my shelf to give to people. But Haiti literally has as its motto, liberty, equality, fraternity, the ideals of the French Revolution. How's that working out for them? Not so great. Not so great. What is their religious composition? Well, as it turns out, Haiti is 87% Christian, supposedly, according to Wikipedia, 10.7% non-religious, 2.1% folk religions, 0.2% others. Now tell me this, if Haiti is 87% Christian as opposed to 67% Christian as the Dominican Republic is, how is it that their prime minister was just murdered a couple of years ago and their government is entirely vacant? They have no president. They have a prime minister who's an acting president, supposedly, Ariel Henry. I would say it has to do with them embracing the ideals of the French Revolution and the difference in mottos, the difference in ideals makes a huge difference in whether the supposed Christianity is activated for the public good or not. You want rampant corruption? Embrace the ideals of the French Revolution and deprive the public of Christian morality, Christian ethics, the Christian worldview, Christian truth, a Christian conviction that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Moving on. First black police chief of Minnesota town apologizes for posting thin blue line flag. Some reporting at the Daily Wire by Hank Berrien. The first black police chief was hired to combat alleged racism, but he has gotten into some trouble after posting a picture of the thin blue line flag on the police department's Facebook page. Supposedly, that is racist. That's what I hear. The LAPD recently banned the thin blue line flag because it's supposedly racist. It's supposed to be a way of representing and symbolizing that law enforcement is protective. Law enforcement has a very hard job to do. We want to support our men and women in law enforcement because they have to deal with the worst aspects of human nature and even Decent people on their worst days, it's a very, very hard job. And they are a minister of God, according to Romans 13, to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. They do not bear the sword for nothing. To point to the sword and say, if it disproportionately 
affects minorities, therefore, the one who bears the sword is the problem here, is an extraordinarily dysfunctional and godless conclusion to come to. It is. If you just look at the statistics and you say, hey, it's not fair that the statistics are not uniform, I would say it has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with the values and the culture that predominates in various communities. See also Haiti and the Dominican Republic. The values, the motto makes a huge difference in the outcome, in what kind of government, what kind of society you will get in Haiti versus the Dominican Republic. So also in minority inner city communities, in particular, predominantly here in the U.S., if the motto is dictated by folks who boast about being pimps and drug dealers and gangsters, don't act all shocked and indignant when law enforcement spends more time in those neighborhoods and the stats don't match. If another community is known, like the Dominican Republic is known for its resorts and its golfing venues, if another community is known for having a really great golf course and nice parks and a very beautiful church and a great rec center where youth go and play basketball and run and swim, and the cops don't have to go over there all that often. Every now and then, dumb teenage boys doing dumb teenage boy stuff, spray painting the water tower or whatever. Yeah, but they don't spend a lot of time there unless they're trying to catch a breather. To say that that proves that law enforcement is racist is a godless approach. That is not just. In fact, that is just an extension of the ideals of the French Revolution. To think that way, to talk that way, to reason that way, to argue that way. It's an extension of the ideals of the French Revolution. Don't embrace instead the ideals of the American War for Independence, not a revolution, strictly speaking, not technically. It wasn't the Declaration of Revolution. It was the Declaration of Independence. Let's be clear. Moving on. Breaking. Carlos Garcia reports for The Blaze. Florida Republican rushed to hospital after falling from roof and sustaining numerous injuries. That's weird. Unfortunate. Not a coincidence. And what I mean when I say not a coincidence is going back to the top of this episode, there is no such thing as a coincidence just because we don't know what led up to this, what contributed to this, what caused this, how this came to be. That doesn't mean that it's random chance. One, because there could be people involved who did dumb things or who were corrupt. Republicans are, shall we say, not looked at with the most favor by our media, by leftist agitators, by the deep state. We're not looked at in the most favorable of ways. So do you maybe have a situation where this Florida Republican is easy pickings? Somebody wants to maybe get him out of the way? I don't know. I'm not saying that there's any evidence of that, but it is a strange coincidence in the sense that the timing of this is odd. He just happens to have a little accident. Well, was it an accident? We'll see. But more importantly, we know that this is not a coincidence from the standpoint of God ruling and reigning. If this tilts the balance of power one direction or another, or it sends chills down the spines of other Republican lawmakers to make an example of this guy, I'm not saying that that's what it is or that's what happened here, but if that is in any measure what has happened here, it doesn't happen outside of God's ruling and reigning and surveying the affairs of mankind. If it's just a genuine accident, he wasn't paying attention, he slipped and fell, then maybe also that works to the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. In fact, let me correct myself, not maybe, it definitely, it definitely will be worked to the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And here's what I would say as well. If there's a suspicion, which is so easy to harbor in our day, that if something bad happens to a Republican and we don't have an answer for it, it could be foul play. 
because we know that the left is capable of that. They've always been capable of that. It's baked into the equation at the root, at the headwaters. We should remember to not fear man who can only kill the body and then has nothing more that he can do to us. Fear God who can both kill the body and cast the soul into hell. As Jesus said, what would Jesus say? Including but not limited to that kind of thing. (laughs) lest we forget. (laughs) In other news, let's go international again. Not to be staff posted yesterday, New Zealand's PM just quit and no one really knows why. Well, I'm sure that's not true, though. God knows. God knows why. I'm sure she knows why. Jacinda Ardern is quitting politics, leaving no later than February 7th. All of this happening around the same time as the WEF meeting in Davos, Switzerland, the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Switzerland. Very curious. A few people have pointed out that Jacinda is not doing well in the polls here recently. She's had major demonstrations across the country of New Zealand. She has, in short, been a arbitrary, totalitarian, globalist tyrant. And so it's good that she is leaving office. She has been a very bad ruler. She's behaved very badly because she was part of a larger design, a larger plan of global governance. The New Zealand people, the citizens of New Zealand, New Zealanders, Kiwis, they're also known, have been fed up with it. And they should have been. Here is a little bit of audio from this news coming out of New Zealand. Take a listen. And so today I'm announcing that I will not be seeking the election. And the Martinez Prime Minister will conclude no later than the 7th of February. Not to be has some helpful greatest hits. From the past few years of Jacinda's being Prime Minister of New Zealand, one from 2021, here's New Zealand's Prime Minister granting citizens the right to use the bathroom inside their friends' homes. Very gracious of her. Here's another one from 2021, New Zealand Prime Minister, quote, dismiss anything else. We will continue to be your single source of truth, end quote. Ooh, that's not dangerous. I I think that is definitionally totalitarian. And if you're told which bathrooms you can use in your neighborhood, even if your friend is like, yeah, you can totally use my bathroom. And the government is saying, uh, you don't have permission to use your friend's bathroom. That's totalitarian. That is absolutely totalitarian. (laughs) There's no getting around it. If that's not, nothing is. Here's another one from 2021. New Zealand's prime minister was asked if vaccine regulations are meant to create, quote, two different classes of people, end quote. She happily confirmed that, yes, they are. One from 2022, her speaking at the United Nations, addressing world leaders. The prime minister of New Zealand says world leaders, quote, cannot ignore, end quote, the, quote, threat, end quote, posed by unregulated political discourse online. So the same gal who wanted to tell Kiwis when they could and couldn't use their friend's bathroom also was appealing to the leaders of the world to help her regulate speech online. Going back to 2021 again, New New Zealand PM says, quote, there's not going to be an end point to this vaccination program, end quote, and she'll never, quote, be satisfied, end quote, till everyone is jabbed. I'm sure she put it in different terms, but disturbing nonetheless. Also from 2021, New Zealand just locked down the entire country over a single COVID case, So that's how things are going over there. And then, if you will remember, 2019, there was a mosque shooting in New Zealand. And her response was to say, and I quote, Today I am announcing that New Zealand will ban all military-style semi-automatic weapons. We will also ban all assault rifles. We will also ban all high-capacity magazines, end quote. Another quote from that same speech that she gave address that she delivered 
Quote, in short, every semi-automatic weapon used in the terrorist attack on Friday will be banned in this country. In short, what she was actually saying was, if somebody anywhere commits a crime with a weapon, we are going to ban that weapon. Problem solved. And actually, at the very bottom of this link that I'm going to put in this episode's description, my podcast episode's description, you can follow it through to Not The Bees website. There are pictures of Jacinda over the years. And boy, howdy, has her political career been apparently hard on her. In her younger years, she was actually a pretty young woman. And as time has gone on, she has gotten thinner and thinner, and she looks almost like a skeleton. She looks skeletal compared to how she looked in her younger years. She was a beautiful young woman, and being a totalitarian dictator is apparently not good for the health. But speaking of totalitarianism and the violation of human rights and <laughs> uh, repressive government, arbitrary rule, Matt Gates, Republican congressman from Florida, has introduced a bill that would eliminate the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, also known shorthand as the ATF. This coming shortly after a recently announced rules changed by the ATF regarding pistol braces, as they're known. Pistol braces on AR-15s in particular change the classification and have for years and years and years. And the ATF knew, and they said, yes, that's fine. It's legal. They changed the classification of AR-15s to allow for shorter barrels without having to call the AR-15 or other makes of firearms, short-barreled rifles. The ATF has, for years and years, as 40 million of these were sold and therefore bought and are therefore, I would presume, owned here in the United States, 40 million of these were sold and bought and are owned and on firearms. The ATF has just recently announced that they're changing their rules, and that Americans who own these pistol braces have 120 days to either destroy their firearms, turn them in at their local ATF office, disassemble them, submit the paperwork for classifying them as short-barreled rifles, the normal fee of hundreds of dollars being waived during the 120-day grace period, or they will be felons. The reporting over at The Blaze by Alex Nitzberg quotes Gates as saying, House Republicans have the ATF in our crosshairs. My bill today would abolish the ATF once and for all. The continued existence of the ATF is increasingly unwarranted based on the actions they're taking to convert otherwise law-abiding people into felons. My bill would abolish the ATF. If that doesn't work, we're going to try defunding the ATF. If that doesn't work, we're going to target the individual bureaucrats at the top of the ATF who have exceeded their authority in rulemaking. And if that doesn't work, we're going to take a meat cleaver to the statutes that the ATF believes broadly authorize their actions. And that is excellent. Now, someone very pragmatic might say that won't work. That is not going to pass. That is not going to be voted on by the Senate or voted up, they're going to vote no. Even if they voted yes, Joe Biden will veto that legislation if it ever gets to his desk. But we'll see. We'll see. You miss all the shots you don't take. I have a poster on my wall reminding me. You miss all the shots you don't take. And for that matter, let the Democrats own this arbitrary exercise of power. Let the Republicans who would vote along with the Democrats out themselves. Let the Republicans who wouldn't even try out themselves. And let even Democrats in jurisdictions where gun rights are very important, where some of these 40 million Americans live, be forced to weigh and measure. And maybe some of those Democrats will come over to the side of what is good and what is true over and against declaring felons 
perhaps as many as 40 million Americans, who otherwise, until this rule was announced, were law-abiding citizens otherwise. So bravo to Matt Gates. This takes courage. This is what we need more of, not less of. And prudential arguments are a thin veneer hiding rotten, moldy particle board if as many as 40 million Americans, including yours truly, could be potentially declared felons, arrested, thrown in prison, deprived of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all because they own a component which up until a week ago, two weeks ago, was entirely lawful to purchase, to own, to put on your firearm. If somebody says, well, the ATF has already been regulating SBRs, suppressors, high-capacity magazines, automatic weapons, I would say, yeah, they should stop that too. The Second Amendment to the United States Constitution is very clear. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Shall not. The ATF is Monday through Friday focused on trying to infringe on Americans' Second Amendment rights. It needs to stop. Maybe if they're not going to be abolished, they could have the firearms part taken out of their purview. Maybe they should only be concerned with alcohol and tobacco. But even there, why do we need an ATF to regulate alcohol and tobacco? Why do we need a special department? It seems to me as though alcohol and tobacco could be either A, more rightly put under the FDA, or B, not a purview of the government where regulation is concerned, not like this anyways. If you say, well, these all have risks, I would say, yes, and freedom is a dangerous thing, but even more dangerous is not having freedom, having everything permitted or else you are breaking the law. That is not freedom. If you have to ask permission for everything, if you have to file time-consuming, lengthy, complicated paperwork in order to have freedom, if you have to pay exorbitant fees in order to have freedom, if you have to get permission in order to have freedom, what freedom is that? This does not need to be as complicated as it is. And for proof of my claim in that regard, consider what would happen if I did turn in my firearms to the ATF. And the way that our government is orienting itself right now, they will perhaps destroy those firearms. Perhaps they will put them to a different use. Perhaps they will recycle them. Or perhaps they'll just send them over to Ukraine and give them to Ukrainians to repel the Russian aggression, which has been going on for so long in that country. But here's my question. If I were to turn in my firearms and you turn in yours, and the ATF has both alike, if they send them over to Ukraine and give them to Ukrainian men and women defending their country, do those Ukrainian men and women have to fill out paperwork with the ATF? Yes or no? What do you think? Now, if you say, well, that's different because Ukraine is currently being invaded, I will say, if Ukraine had been armed at the outset, they wouldn't have been invaded in the first place. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So why would we say that is a reason to disarm ourselves because we're not being invaded right now? When your country is actually being invaded or the same kinds of villains, by the way, can crop up domestically as Ukraine is having to deal with from outside of their country coming in. But if you could get firearms either before an invasion or a hostile action from evil men or after they've already been aggressive towards you, which is the better time to arm yourself? If they're going to be aggressive anyways, which is the better time before they invade or after they've already invaded? And that is, even if you set aside the question of deterrence, which I would maintain that deterrence is the number one reason to keep and bear arms as a deterrent because you don't want trouble and you are less likely to get trouble 
if they would be troublemakers, know that you're not easy pickings. You're not a soft target. It doesn't have to be this complicated. It does not have to be as complicated as the ATF is trying to make it. This is sludge designed to disenfranchise American citizens where the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution is concerned, where their God-given right to keep and bear arms is concerned. Now, somebody might say, well, rights don't come from God. Rights come from man. You have whatever rights men, the strongest men around you, say you do. But that can't be because it can't be that there are no rights unless the state tells you that you have a right. That can't be. Or else what would we say with regards to the mass atrocities of the 20th century when totalitarian states decided that certain wide swaths of their people were expendable for the supposed greater good. In closing, I don't mean for you to be fearful. I don't mean for you to take away from these things that the world is this dark, scary, awful, ugly, evil place and give up hope. No, no, that's not correct. What would be wise for us to remember is that our Father in heaven will have his kingdom come, and he will have his will be done. Holy is his name on earth as it is in heaven. We don't know when fully, but we know that. And as such, I think we can engage with a kind of win-win expectancy. Bad things have happened when men forget that God is watching, and that God will keep all of his promises. He will see justice served. Let us not forget. Let us not forget. Let us be reminders by our conduct, by our speech, that we serve a God who is able and willing to work all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things, in all circumstances, we give thanks because he works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He will have his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And even if all we have for right now is our daily bread, that's enough. With that, we can be content and we walk in the good works that he has prepared for us before the creation of the world. But like I said, those are my closing thoughts. I got to run. We've got biblical training group tonight. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.